You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, it was as a university student, at least that I can remember, the first time of being away from, from home and, and living in a culture that was just a little bit more unfamiliar. Uh, going from a small town to a, a big city. But it was the first time where I had the conscious thought that people are weird. Maybe it was uh, walking down 17th Avenue for the first time and seeing a guy out in, a, in an easy chair with a fishing pole casting into a tree. And as I walk by, he, he says, yeah, I'm fishing for squirrels. And, uh, you know, I, I you know, kind of nodded my head and thought, hmm, that's, that's strange. At home, we fish for fish. Go figure. Okay. And, or, or maybe, you know, then there, there was several years later uh, that I, I got married. And I've been married for 15 years now to my wife, Julie. But I'll, I'll never forget that as we're getting ready to go on a vacation shortly after we got married, that right as we're, as I'm thinking it's time to head out the door, uh, Julie is is frantically and meticulously cleaning our apartment. Now, for me, one of the reasons you go on vacation is to not do that, to leave, to leave it there. But for her, in order to go on vacation, you kind of need to get it done first, okay? To me, a little bit peculiar, a little bit strange. Uh, for those of you that are baseball fans, last year, Ken Griffey Jr. was... Uh, was selected to the Baseball Hall of Fame and received a record portion of the vote. Uh, all but about 1% of all voters said, we believe Ken Griffey Jr. should be in. And there was, and of course, in the analysis following that vote, there were several people that were asking the question, how could he not get 100% of the vote? Another sportscaster says, uh, you know, it's really easy as to the explanation as to why he didn't get 100% of the vote. And it's this, people are weird. And it's with that in mind that we continue in a series that we've been preaching out of the book of Acts, where we, we embrace this reality, what I'm calling weird, but it's really just the short way to recognize that people are unique. We are wonderfully nuanced and beautifully different and and we are exploring this uh, acts for the purpose of of saying hey if we are going to be people who take Jesus seriously who take the gospel seriously then what does it mean to to grow up as this family of God to grow up as uh, let me say it this way as weird people seeking to embrace more weird people and we come to a story tonight that, that in many ways on the surface isn't quite as spectacular as maybe some of the stories that we've heard the past few weeks, if you've been with us as Lori was preaching, where, where we saw a, a, a healing, a miraculous healing. And, and last week we saw this same group of people, apostles, taking on some power brokers, the Sadducees, these kind of spectacular stories. Well, the story that we come to tonight in many ways feels a lot less spectacular and that they're merely going to be dealing with some of the problems that arise 
as any community would be changing and growing and welcoming uh, different people. So as we come to our text tonight in Acts chapter 6, beginning at the first verse, uh, as we read this together, I want you to notice the problems. Okay, what are the, what are the various problems that you notice in the text. So I'm going to have you stand right now and turn to, turn to Acts chapter 6 in those black Bibles in front of you. You know what? It's on page 899 in, in my Bible. I'm not sure it's the same in yours. 889, I'm told. Right on. Oh, you know what? Now that I look at it again, it's 889 in mine as well. All right, and fair warning here, there's some Greek names at the bottom of this passage that we're going to read together that if you just kind of need to mumble through those, that's okay. Um, I'm probably going to do the same thing, but let's read this together. Now, during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmeas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but what we just read never will. Please take a seat. Did you notice the problems? How'd you do with those, how'd you do with those Greek names? Sounded like you did pretty good. Now, if we were to go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 34, we saw a church that was described this way, where all believers were of one heart and mind, and among whom there were no needy persons. It seems that whatever has happened to this young church in two chapters, we now have problems on both fronts, right? Did you catch that? It's laid out pretty clear in verse 1 that the presenting issue is that there were some widows being overlooked in this, this daily distribution of food. But it's not just that there were some being overlooked. Uh, we're talking about people here, so that means there were, there, there, was, there were really layers of complexity to the problem. And so, uh, to me, the other primary problem that this story makes clear is that there is a division among ethnic lines, among racial lines, the Greeks and the Hebrews. And to, to just slow us down and, and help us connect with this a little bit, these are two groups of people coming together in Jerusalem who likely spoke different languages, 
who came, no doubt came from different traditions and thus had different expectations, attitudes, and outlooks. Now, in this growing community of people who are following Jesus coming from different cultures and, and really immediate needs, they're hungry, right? Commentator Ajith Fernando notes this. He says, almost certainly the, the Greek widows were not deliberately discriminated against. The cause of the problem was the increase in the number of disciples and in an active and expanding movement. It is possible for less prominent people, not of a dominant culture, to not be noticed. And he continues by saying, but it is still wrong. Now, I bring this up because this in so many ways is my experience of church and of being uh, a, a weird person myself that does my best to seek, to, to seek and embrace other weird people. I know here at UPC that nobody is trying, for example, to be rude or mean or not welcome people. Often when there are these types of deliberate, these uh, people being overlooked or not being welcome, it's not out of a sense of, I don't want to do that, right? It's out of a sense of being too busy. The community's growing. We have things to do. So nobody was, was being intentionally rude. Nobody was trying to be hurtful. They were just doing what they've always done. And people were being neglected. People were being overlooked. You see, I imagine it playing out like this, that for these new Christians here in the first century, these Christians from the Jewish tradition, they would have known the system. Why? Because their sacred book, the Old Testament, the Torah, it had detailed how, how in, 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 there were specifics really in, in how, um, they were to ensure that socially depressed people like widows, orphans, and aliens were not overlooked. And so they would know how this daily distribution works without having to have it explained to them. Now, for those described in our texts as Hellenists or from a Greek background, their culture would likely not have the same system. We've already noted that there's a language barrier in place and perhaps even a different understanding around what should happen there. They might think this system is, well, a, a little bit weird themselves. And some of the other Hebraic Christians, I would imagine it to be, to be like this, right? I mean, I've had this experience in church where the very people that they, that they want to reach out to, maybe they have a little bit of insecurity of going, but I don't know how to do that. We don't speak the same language. And, and what do I do? That there's an intimidation factor there. Now, that's how my imagination plays out in terms of how the dynamics might have worked with these two different communities coming together, these people from these different backgrounds. Now, I'll say that I'm glad that this story is in the Bible 
And I find it rather comforting. And the reason for that is that our session here at UPC, session is what we call the group of active elders that, that really spend time paying attention to where is God calling this, this church to go? What is God calling this church to do? And one of the things that they've discerned in the last year is this, this priority for us to grow as a multi-ethnic family of Christ to grow as the multicultural family of God. And what this story reminds us is that that is the right journey to be on. It's a great journey to be on, but it also reminds us that it's complex. That to the degree that I find myself overwhelmed going, how, how for a church that, that has been dominantly a white church for over a hundred years, how in the world does a community like us make this change? And I'm comforted by the fact that the first century church struggled with exactly the same thing. And yet I have a great hope as I read this text as well, about a group of early Christians, indeed the apostles, that they, that they heard these complaints and they took on the issue seriously and sensitively in order to find a way forward for the community. So what? So what does this tell us about what it means to be the church? what it means to grow uh, as a community that's taking Jesus seriously. As a college pastor over the past decade and a half, of course, I had the opportunity to walk with many people to hear the joy and excitement of being away from home and being away from a comfortable culture for the first time. But it was also a time where I got to hear about the pain and confusion for the same reason where roommates seem strange and often irritating. Classmates are no doubt different than, and have different worldviews. And students themselves find themselves feeling, well, again, a little bit weird. Well, and it's been over that same time period that I've had uh, the great privilege of getting to do about 100 weddings of former uh, university ministries students and staff and interns and often... Uh, one, one of the things that, that we do in that process, um, is premarital counseling. And a key part of, of that premarital counseling, among other things, is, is processing how we engage and deal with conflict. And of course, obviously, when, when I bring this up with some young couples, they're like, oh, well, we don't fight. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but you will. <laughs> Trust me. One of the most powerful and practical concepts that plays out in that setting, in pre-marriage and marriage, but I would argue is applies to really any place where we are in interpersonal relationships, coworkers, roommates, parents, kids, etc., comes from University of Washington researcher John Gottman, who has spent his career thoroughly examining the question of what makes marriages successful. What makes relationship work? And one of these most practical things that he notice, notice, notes is whether a couple turns away or turns toward. Do they turn away or turn toward? Gottman says of his love lab just down the street here where he has observed the interactions of thousands of couples, 
that he is looking for the small ways that they turn toward instead of turn away. Now, when I think about this story, there was something that made me think about this idea, that in the midst of a problem, in the midst of conflict, the apostles were able to hear a complaint and acknowledge that there was a problem. That's a turning toward. There were no excuses or sweeping anything under the rug. That is a turning toward. There was a sensitive and indeed an empowering approach to a solution turning toward. And so as we go back to what Session has discerned about where this community that we call UPC is going, seeking to become a full and multicultural expression of the community of Christ, I want to suggest that it means we become a people that turn toward instead of turning against. Becoming the people of God means becoming people who turn toward instead of turning against. Acts 6 is this critical moment of the church establishing itself, and it seems that the apostles remembered that their Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, first turned toward them. That's the cross of Christ. And what the cross reminds us of of the one who took on flesh, who took on pain and suffering, who took on death that we may live. And so the cross reminds us, as it did for those early apostles, of a God that turned toward them and turned turns toward us. And those apostles knew that serving the God that turned toward them meant serving the word and serving tables. So empowered by that gospel, how might we become this community that turns toward? Three reflections on how the gospel empowers us to turn toward and not against. First, we turn toward those different than us by including and empowering them. The apostles in seeking to solve for this problem that was originating from complaints from the non-dominant culture of the community in Jerusalem seek to enroll and empower them in developing a solution for that problem. And as they do, it, it, it says that this pleased them all. That list of names that maybe some of us had a hard time pronouncing, those are, are Greek names. So it clues us in that the people that were selected as part of the solution were people that they were saying, hey, come and help us figure out how to be this type of multicultural community. We turn toward those different than us by including and empowering them. And it seems straightforward enough. And even as I look out, I see a, a lot of head nods. This is easy to agree on. So why is it so hard? Why don't we always do this? The problem that I identify in my own house is this, that my kids make a mess. <laughs> 
I mean, various playthings and coloring books and Legos that are strewn about the living room while there is a table that, a dinner table that hasn't been cleared after my wife and I are both exhausted after long days of work can sometimes leave me feeling overwhelmed and angry and a little bit short. Why can't these kids keep things clean? Why don't they know how to get the table cleaned up and, and, and everything off to the dishwasher? Well, maybe it's because I've never actually asked them how they might go about cleaning things up. Maybe it's because I've never actually coached them on how they might go about clearing the table. You see, in that moment where I am tired and frustrated and angry, the easiest thing for me to do is go full Nike and just do it. That me doing it myself, doing it the way I've always done it might be easiest and efficient, but it is the least effective in the long run. Especially if it leaves me constantly desiring a different culture in our house. If our culture is going to change, I have to get the people on board that are living there. I need to include them in the solution. And with my kids, I'm aware that that's through curiosity, inviting their thoughts and their input and, and coaching, demonstrating. But what both of those things require is time and me doing something different than how I would do it. You see, including and empowering is easy to agree on, but hard to do because it forces us to relinquish the God of convenience. It forces us to lean into change. And as we as a church seek to grow as a welcoming, multi-ethnic, multicultural community, it will require those of, of us like me, part of a dominant culture to relinquish our convenience and to do something different than we have always done. Turning toward is to empower and be curious and to change turning against is just doing it the way we've always done it. Second, we find the hurt and need in our community. In our story, the hurt came from a need. There were neglected widows who were hungry. Of course, the disciples saw this problem and set sail to solve it. Now, there's a phrase that I've often used in my 17 years of ministry here at UPC that has been helpful quite a bit along the way. And that phrase is this, that ministry is a mess. If there is no mess, there is no ministry. If there's no mess, it means there's likely not a place to step in. If we are going to be people who turn toward it means we can't turn away from things that we would otherwise want to turn away from. And what's on my mind is I, as I share that is the ways that I know myself to be so, uh, so compelled to turn away and in fact run from the messiness of the homeless crisis in our city. And I bet you I'm like a lot of people in this room where everything in me would love to do something to help, 
that would be effective, that would be received, that, that might go even, even in, in incremental mark in helping solve uh, this incredible problem. Uh, and yet, I get intimidated. I'm scared that I won't be accepted. Um, sometimes I might even be a little bit scared for my safety. Uh, another way that I tend to get back uh, and, and find myself intimidated is just when I ask the question, where, where do I start? Where might I be able to make a difference? And when the answer is not clear, I quit searching for the solution. I turn away and go back to doing what I've always done. What I'm excited to let you know that we'll share more about in just a, a few minutes is that there is an opportunity coming up here in the next couple of weeks for us as a community to join in in meeting some of the great needs of women and children in our community. Uh, the Mary's Place Rotating Shelter is going to be right next door. And per our tradition, we join with other churches in the neighborhood to help host that. Uh, so stay tuned for ways that you, you can sign up tonight uh, to be a part of that here at the end of the month and into September. Turning toward means turning toward the messiness and not away from it. Finally, the last reflection is this, prayer. Now, a few things here. One question that always comes up about this passage is that for those of us reading it in the 21st century, there can, there can be this, this sense that the apostles are a little bit condescending in the way that they first approach this problem. That when we, when we read, you know, it, it doesn't seem right that we would wait on tables so that we can attend to serving the word and, and praying that we're tempted to go, wow, it seems like, like caring for the widows in their eyes is a lot less important that meeting that kind of material or physical need is more important. But what I want you to understand is that in, in first century Jerusalem, they did not put the, the same wall between the, the, so to speak, the spiritual and the material and physical in the way that we do. And so what we need to understand about, about this passage is that when, if the apostles' primary concern is about the evangelical fervor of this early community, wanting people to know Jesus and really deploy all means necessary to do that. Yes, it meant preaching the word, but as this story tells us, it also meant serving tables because when they did that, what happened? The community continued to grow and they increased in numbers and even priests became obedient to the faith. That by by doing what they did, it worked. And that's good news. But twice in this passage, we hear about the apostles' devotion to prayer. And not unlike what we just did with Sarah a few minutes ago, the people who were, who were chosen to administer are prayed for by the laying on of hands. Prayer. Now, I, as I share a little bit uh, about prayer in this moment, I'm gonna, I, I wanna be straight up with you that there is something in me that as a pastor that, that gets the privilege to be up here and share. I'm always a, a little bit uncomfortable to get up and, and say something that sounds so insider Christian. Come on, guys, pray more, pray more. 
Because that's actually not what, what I want us to take away tonight. Over the last 17 years on staff here, there's too many times that I meet with people that are struggling in their prayer life uh, and feel guilty about it. And then they, they start beating themselves up. But this passage suggests that if we are going to be people who turn toward, prayer is a part of it. And so I want to, uh, I want to say this, that this week as you pray, step into prayer, first receiving it as a gift. That moment is a reminder that in prayer, prayer is a space where, where we remember God has turned toward us in Jesus Christ. And prayer is also the moment that we reorient ourselves, that we turn toward God ourselves. You see, prayer is where we remember that God turned toward us and we turn toward God. And it seems that if we're going to have any shot at being individuals and indeed a community that turns toward instead of against, prayer will not merely be the start of it. Prayer will be involved every step of the way. And so we practice. And we practice. And so, friends, my, my hope on this passage that is so known as the deacon's passage, that we would be encouraged, regardless of our background, to be people who turn towards people who are wonderfully different, who are beautifully nuanced, that we as a community, might become a more full, a more complete expression of the kingdom of God that we talked about building up in the song before this all started. Let us be that community. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you animate us by your spirit, that you give us gifts like prayer, that you meet us there. God, give us courage to be people who turn toward and not against Give us people who have patience to, to uh, keep going when we want to quit, uh, who are willing to open our hands and release the ways that we cling to convenience. God, we need your help, and we know that you will be there for us. God, help us grow up into being the people that you have in mind for us to be, indeed, the community, the church you have in mind for us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.